I want you to use your imagination this morning. Are you ready? I want you to imagine that you are really, really hungry. For some of you, that's not going to be too hard, is it? I want you to imagine that you're so hungry that your stomach is growling and all you can think about is food. Are you there? Are you with me? And maybe the food that you're thinking about right now looks like this. Or not. <laughs> I had a roommate in college that ate pizza and Italian food every morning for breakfast. So it is a breakfast food. Uh, maybe you'd like to have this. Or not. Or how about this? Yeah, that's, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's everybody's favorite. Or this, one of my favorites. Yeah, okay. Now, as you think about this food, think about this. What does it feel like when you get to eat exactly what you want and you get to eat as much of it as you want until you're full? What does that feel like? One word. Good, yeah, you bet it's good. Great, man, I love it. Now, here's the thing. We all know what a great thing it is to have our hunger for food fully satisfied. Isn't that true? Today I want to talk to you about a different kind of hunger. Not the hunger of the stomach, but the hunger of the heart. The hunger of the soul. Because we come to, into this world with a heart that is hungry. And, and we're thirsty and we want to know what our purpose is. We want to know that there's meaning in life. We want to know that there's a way to be loved and accepted. We want to know that somehow in this crazy, messed up world, we could find some significance and some security. And Jesus understands that. He knows all about the hunger of our stomachs, but he also knows about the hunger of our souls. And today, we're going to explore what Jesus says about that. Now, we've been looking at this message that, that Jesus delivered on the side of a mountain, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Um, if you want to follow along this morning, and you've got one of the Bibles that we provided, that's going to be on page 785. And I'd like you to look at the statement on your outline, because this is really a synopsis of this entire message by Jesus. And it says this, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is about who you are and who you can become as a citizen of God's kingdom. And notice this, an entirely different kind of life is possible, how? When you allow Christ to rule in your heart by embracing him as your king. Jesus comes to establish a kingdom. He's the king, and our lives are transformed as we embrace him as our king. Now, in these verses, Jesus continues to describe the people who do that, who embrace him as their king. And as you look at these statements that Jesus makes, they all start with the same word, blessed or blessed and we've seen in the last few weeks that word blessed means to experience this this sense of joy this sense of peace this sense of of contentment that is completely independent of circumstances it doesn't matter what's happening in your life when you have a close connection to God through Christ you can have that peace that joy and that contentment and so now Jesus is going to go on and explain even more about this idea of being blessed and this is what he says in verse 6 Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. We, we've actually had this in our songs this morning, this idea of, of God's righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? They'll be filled. They'll be satisfied. Now, as we look at the teaching of Jesus today, it's always a good thing to remember that Jesus had a specific goal for his teaching, and the goal was simply this, the transformation of the human heart. Jesus taught to change our hearts, because when your heart is changed, your life is changed. Now, the Bible that I'm using has the words of Jesus in red. How many of you have ever seen a Bible like that? 
all the words of Jesus in red. When we see these words of Jesus or when we hear these words of Jesus, we should ask ourselves a question and the question is here on your outline. What can you learn from this teaching by Jesus that can change your life? So church this morning, I want to take that one phrase that, that Jesus taught, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. How can that statement change our lives? Well, here's the first thing that we can learn. Every person, every person has a spiritual hunger and thirst inside. A spiritual hunger and thirst inside. Now here's a music trivia question for you. What is the name of the song written by Keith Richards and Mick Jagger? Um, it was their first number one hit in the United States. It was actually written in a hotel room in Clearwater, Florida. Who knows the name of the song? You can say it out loud. Satisfaction. Now, I was talking to my wife, Chris, about this. Um, we went to church together when we were teenagers. And I was sitting in church one Sunday morning, and our pastor had the audacity to stand up and quote the lyrics of Satisfaction in church. And he stands up and he says, I can't get no satisfaction. I go, oh man, what's going to happen next? And it created quite a controversy. And then he went on to make this bold statement. He says, what the Rolling Stones say here is true of us all. Now here's what he was getting at. Here's how he explained it. That the Bible's clear. We were made by God and for God. I mean, God made us so that we would know him and love him and trust him and serve him and, and dedicate our lives to him. And inside every human heart is this deep need, this deep hunger and thirst for God. And that thirst, that hunger can't be satisfied anyplace else. St. Augustine, famous pastor and theologian way back in the fourth century said this, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. See, Jesus did understand that we have hungry hearts, thirsty hearts. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to find meaning and purpose. And Jesus also understood this, that many problems, many of our problems, come from trying to satisfy our thirst in the wrong way. So many of us have discovered this, haven't we? That many of our problems come from trying to satisfy our thirst in the wrong way. One of the key characteristics of our American culture is consumerism. This idea that, you know, um, if you want to be somebody, if you want to be secure, you just need to have enough what? Stuff, right? There was a British person who was making this observation about Americans, and he said, you know, many Americans are people who, who buy um, things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. Think about this. Is there a gang problem in our country? Well, yeah, why is that? Why is it that people join gangs? Well, because they have hungry hearts. Because they're thirsty for acceptance and approval and protection. And they actually find those things when they join a gang. Why is it that there are people who tend to be workaholics? Well, it's because sometimes people work really hard and they try to accumulate stuff because they believe that somehow their net worth reflects their self-worth. Now, here's a, a Bible verse. It's from the Old Testament, but it points out how we try to satisfy our hunger and thirst in the wrong way. Now, this is God speaking to his people in the Old Testament. And God says this to the nation of Israel. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, what is a cistern? Well, it's a place that people would dig in the ground or maybe dig it in rock that was used to store water. It would collect and store water. And this was really important in Israel because... 
Um, there they had a really long dry season. There were almost no springs. Notice what the prophet says. Jeremiah doesn't say that these cisterns became cracked. It isn't like they once held water, then they developed leaks. He says, no, from the very beginning, they were never able to hold water. And this is a stinging rebuke to God's people. God's saying, look, you have forsaken me. You don't come to me to find what your heart is hungry for and thirsty for. You've turned away. And this is exactly what was happening in Israel. Israel had decided that they were going to be like the other nations of the world. They wanted to be like those cultures. They wanted to worship other gods. They engaged in all these immoral sexual practices. You know why? Because their hearts were hungry and thirsty. But they were trying to satisfy that hunger and that thirst in the wrong way. And church, what was true then is true now. I mean, this is happening all around us, that people are trying to satisfy this, this thirst for God in all kinds of ways that are bringing pain into, into their lives. And consider this, consider how the verses in Jeremiah might apply to God's people today. I mean, is it possible that we have become so accustomed to God being the source of what our souls are thirsty for that we're distracted, that we've drifted from God, that we're now trying to find other places to satisfy the deepest thirsts of our hearts? I was thinking this week, about something that um, God has been bringing to my mind. And it has to do with how committed we are to him, how passionate we are about Jesus. Because, again, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Consider this. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, think about how you spent the last 24 hours or maybe the last week. How much time have you spent watching TV, movies, sports, entertainment, social media? What if you added up all those hours? And then you, you took the time that you spent praying or the time you spent reading God's Word. I mean, what would that contrast look like? And, and please understand me, in and of themselves, none of those things are wrong. But it really is a matter of our priorities. And remember the goal of Jesus' teaching is the transformation of the human what? heart because Jesus knows you know even when you're a believer it is easy for your heart to be distracted it is easy to wander away from the God who loves you like nobody else and that's why Jesus stands on this mountainside because it says that he called his disciples to him it wasn't just the crowds of people that didn't know him it was his own disciples and he looks them in the eye and he said hey hey blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled so the question is um, what was he trying to say? Look at the statement on your outline. Truly joyful and content is the person who deeply desires, deeply desires to have a right relationship with God for this desire will be satisfied by the king. I'd like to ask our worship team to come up to the stage because in just a moment, I'm going to ask them to present a song to you. But let me... Let me define this word righteousness because it has many facets. Um, one of the best definitions of righteousness is this. It's a right relationship with God made possible by Jesus. A right relationship with God made possible by Jesus. This week I was um, looking at some um, information about the Chinese language and I discovered something really fascinating. They have a, a character um, 
that's translated righteousness, and it actually is formed by two characters. The first character stands for me, and the second character stands for lamb. And when you put lamb above me, you now have the character for righteousness. Isn't that fascinating? Because think about it, between me, between you and me, and a holy God is Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a beautiful picture of God's grace. And, and here's a verse that reminds us of God's grace. It says this, we were made right in God's sight. That's the idea of righteousness. How? When we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our what? Our sins. See, that's the bad news. We're sinners. We're separated from a holy God. God's just. He, he needs to punish every sin just to be consistent with his character. And that punishment is designed to be separated from him forever. And we can't save ourselves. But notice it goes on. And we can all be saved in this same way by trusting Jesus, by acknowledging our sin, by turning away from it. How? No matter who we are or what we've done. No matter who we are or what we've done. Now, I was thinking about this as well. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? You know, so often who we see is the person who's done wrong things. Isn't that true? And there's a sense of shame and regret and, and, and failure that we carry with us. And God, whoa, whoa, wait. If you've decided to follow Jesus, you now have a new identity because your record's settled. You're a son or a daughter of God. And so often our identity is formed by the things that other people say about us. Isn't that true? And even the things we tell ourselves. But church, this is so, so very important. When you're a Christian... Your identity depends on what Jesus says about you. It's amazing how God speaks to us through music, isn't it? That is such a powerful song because it's true. And church, listen to me. Christian, listen to me. What matters most is what Jesus says about you. And Jesus says you are loved and you're accepted and you're forgiven. And, and here's what Jesus wants us to know. That we can come to him for everything we need to live in this broken world. Let me show you a passage where Jesus makes that so very clear. Look at these words from the Bible. It says, on the last day, the, the biggest day of the festival, Jesus stood again and spoke aloud. If any of you is thirsty, and he's not talking about physical thirst, is he? What your heart is thirsty for, what your soul is thirsty for, if any of you is thirsty, come to me and drink. If you believe in me, and that's what that song was saying, yeah, Lord, I believe in you. I believe these things are true. If you believe in me, the Hebrew scriptures say that rivers of living water will flow from within you. And then that's explained. Jesus was referring to the realities of life in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, made available to who? The super-religious those who have their act together. What does it say? Everyone. Everyone who believes in him. There's a, a powerful story in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is about the, the church and how it makes an incredible difference in the world. 
as Jesus' disciples are taking what he taught them and sharing that with other people and lives are being transformed. And Jesus, there in chapter 1, calls his disciples together and he says, listen, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me and what I can do in their lives. But listen, wait here in Jerusalem because you're not ready yet. What do they need to receive in order to carry out that mission? The Holy Spirit. And when my spirit comes upon you, you will receive what? Power to carry out my purpose. And it's really amazing. You get to chapter 2 and, and the disciples are praying and God's spirit shows up. It's called the day of Pentecost. And some of you know the story and, and they begin to tell people about the mighty acts of God, but they're not doing it in their language. They're doing it in all these other languages that they've never learned. And people look at that and they go, whoa, man, what is going on here? These people have obviously had too much wine. I think it's kind of funny because Peter says, look, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. These people are not drunk. They are filled with God's what? God's Holy Spirit. Now think about this. If you um, drink too much alcohol and you're driving your car and you get pulled over and you um, are charged with DUI. What does that stand for? Driving under the influence. And, you know, when you've had too much to drink, it's obvious that you're under the influence of alcohol. It changes how you talk. It changes how you walk. slows down your reflexes. It's really obvious. Now, you could say the disciples here who are filled with God's Spirit could not be charged with DUI. They should be charged with LUI, living under the influence of God's Spirit. See, what, what Jesus is saying is when you really hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you want to be right with God, he will fill you up. And here's proof right here in the scripture. Because under the influence of God's spirit, these people had a, a constant joy. They had this, this unshakable peace, this contagious courage. They, they were unselfishly loving each other. And you know why? Because they allowed Jesus to rule in their heart by embracing him as their king. Exactly what Jesus preached about in the Sermon on the Mount. Church, I believe one of the most important things that we can learn from Jesus here is that as we face the pressures and problems of our lives, and we do every day, don't we? That often we try to take our, our pain, our stress, and deal with it on our own rather than coming to God. I mean, when you think about it, addiction is a huge issue in our culture. I mean, addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, all kinds of addictions. And I think driving that addiction is the heart that's hungry. I mean, think about the opioid crisis in America. What is driving that? Well, I think Jesus is telling us what's driving that. Because Jesus knows that life is tough, that relationships are hard, that your heart gets broken. And when your heart is broken, you're in pain. And when you're in pain, what is the, the number one thing that you want? relief you want something that will dull that pain or take away that pain and so what do we do we look for painkillers and instead of turning to God with our pain we seek other sources of relief and Jesus knows that and that's why he says come to me you who are thirsty I was thinking about about this when I was a firefighter we were trained in underwater rescue and recovery. And it was pretty interesting because we started out training in a swimming pool, which was a pretty safe environment. But one of the things that we learned in that dive class is about the pressure of water. And as you go 
deeper and deeper, what happens with the pressure? Gets greater and greater. So let's say that I'm going to go diving, okay? And I take this can of Sprite with me. Now think about this. If I'm going deeper and deeper underwater, what's going to eventually happen to this can of Sprite? It's not going to explode. It's going to what? It's going to implode, which means that the pressure outside is greater than the pressure inside, and the can will be crushed. Kind of a picture of life when you think about it. We go through our days, and there's all this pressure on the outside pressing in on us. And unless we have something that's pressing back to equalize that pressure, what's going to happen to us? We're going to get crushed. God says, you don't need to be crushed because my spirit can live inside you. And my Holy Spirit can push back against the pressures and the problems and the discouragement and the disappointment of this broken, fallen world. And Jesus says, hey, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled with what? God's Spirit. So that you don't get crushed by life. There's something else I want to point out in terms of what we can learn from Jesus because I think this is so important and it's there on your outline. Truly joyful and content is a person who deeply desires to see justice prevail for this desire will be satisfied by the king. The, the word for righteousness and the word for justice are really inseparable in the Bible. Now look at this verse. This is from Psalm 89. It says, righteousness, talking of God, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Justice is a part of God's character, and because we're made in the image of God, it's something that's just innate to us, this desire for justice. And let me see if I can prove that to you. How many of you have ever been to a sporting event where a referee made a bad call? All right, I should maybe say, how many of you have never been to a sporting event? Yeah, because it happens all the time, right? Now, imagine that you're at a football game, and uh, there's just a really obviously terrible call by the ref, and they put it up on the jumbotron, the big screen. How does the crowd react? Oh, grace to you, Mr. Referee. <laughs> we will pray that God will give you more wisdom next time. I've never heard that. People boo, right? They throw stuff. They use hand gestures. I mean, why does that happen? It's because deep inside, we have a demand for justice. This isn't right, this isn't fair, and we know it, and we want something done about it right now. We see this in sports, don't we? Do we see it in life? Well, absolutely. See, we want justice for ourselves. We want, we should want justice for other people. But we live in a world filled with injustice. I mean, we see all kinds of discrimination because of race and religion and nationality and age and gender and education, and the list goes on and on. But there is one person, there is one referee who always gets it right. And I know him. His name's Jesus. He is the one who is the just king, the righteous king. And I love this verse from Psalm 103. The Lord, the Lord gives righteousness and justice to who? to all who were treated unfairly. And I read that this week and said, what? God, I look around and I don't see that. There's a lot of people that aren't getting justice and are being treated very unfairly. So what's up with this? Well, realize this. Some of you grew up going to school and in the morning, I remember in elementary school, we would say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Anybody remember this? 
And it gets to the end, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for? Really? Well, that was the ideal, right? That was the aspiration, that was the goal. But in the history of our country, has that always been the case? Well, absolutely not. There's been a lot of injustice in this nation and by extension in this world. So what is this verse talking about? Well, it's looking toward the future because one day Jesus Christ is coming back. He is the righteous king. One day he will establish his kingdom and that kingdom will be fully realized. And one day, it won't be one nation under God. It'll be all the nations under God, under a righteous king, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's where history is headed. But what do we do today? Well, we pray for justice. We work for justice because we're God's people. And that's what God wants for us. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice in this world. For one day, they will be filled. That's what he was teaching us. Now, I, I want you to consider this. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. How hungry and thirsty are you this morning for God? Really? How much do you hunger and thirst for his word? to hear his voice, to know his purpose for you, to carry out that purpose. Consider this, what will happen to my appetite for lunch if I eat an entire box of Twinkies right now? What'll happen? It will ruin my appetite, we all know this. Let me, um, let me ask you again, how's your appetite for God? Because I think if we're honest, many of us would say this, well you know what, it's not what it ought to be. Seriously. I mean, I hear you, Pastor Dudley. You're saying, man, I should be on fire for God. I should be passionate. But truth be told, I'm just not. I mean, I can go for days without reading the Bible. I can go for a long time without thinking about how I should serve other people. Because I'm just trying to keep my own head above water. Are you kidding me? And you know, when it comes to this idea that God's word is given to transform us, well, I'm kind of happy with the way I am. There's nothing in me that I really am upset about or concerned about in terms of being transformed. Now, why might that be the case in people's hearts? Well, could it be that their spiritual appetite has been affected by junk food? Look at the statement on your outline. It says, if you want to increase your spiritual appetite, you need to, and two things I want to point out. One, stop eating junk food. Stop eating junk food. Look at this verse from Isaiah. It's an intriguing verse. It says, why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen, and I will tell you where to get food that is good for the what? Good for the soul. <laughs> Listen, when you're a believer, you have the responsibility to regulate your spiritual diet and to be careful what you're feeding your soul. Look at this verse written by Paul, follower of Jesus. He says this, and now... Dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. What does that tell you? This is really important. One more thing. Take it to heart. And what does he say? Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Listen, your mental diet will affect your spiritual appetite. Your mental diet will absolutely affect your spiritual appetite. So the question is, what are you putting in your head? What are you putting in your heart? 
And, and I believe that one of the greatest dangers to Christianity is our capitulation to the culture. And let me explain that. I think it is so important for Christians to realize that God does not want us to retreat from our culture. We're not supposed to just kind of huddle together, bar the door, Katie, don't let the outsiders in. <laughs> Let's just wait till Jesus gets here. It'll be okay. Don't go out there, it's dangerous. That's not the mentality that God wants us to have. He wants us to connect with our culture, but to do it without compromising the principles of his word. And here's, here's the challenge the more we immerse ourselves in the values of our culture, the more difficult it is to maintain biblical values. I mean, there are so many ways that we're influenced, and we just talked about it, by TV and movies and sports and entertainment and social media, and the question is, consider the amount of time that you're being influenced by the culture and the amount of time you're being influenced by God. And ask the question, do I need to make some adjustments here to increase my spiritual appetite? Because church, here's the reality. If we allow the culture to shape us, it's going to affect our spiritual appetite. It's going to diminish our passion for God and for his word and for his mission in this world. It will dim the light that God wants us to use to punch holes in the darkness. You know, in a medical setting, when a patient loses their appetite, that can be a sign of a serious medical problem, right? So... What is something the doctor is looking for to know the patient's getting better? Their appetite returns. So what can we do to stimulate our spiritual appetite? Well, one thing is stop eating junk food, but start eating soul food. Look at these words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This Bible has words that come not only from the mouth of God, but from the heart of God. And that's why Jesus says, this is your daily bread. This is what you need to satisfy your soul and to quench your thirst. Now, what would happen if you only ate one meal for the next seven days? You would be malnourished. If you only come to church on Sunday morning and hear what God has to say to you, but don't do anything else the rest of the week, I will tell you this, you're going to be spiritually malnourished. And I love to be able to explain the scriptures to you. I love for us to get together. But friends, we have a personal responsibility to feed ourselves from God's word. God invites us to do that every single day. Here's one of my favorite Bible verses. It says this, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. And then what's that next word? We've been looking at that word, haven't we? Truly joyful and content and peaceful is the one who takes refuge in him. There was a, a young pastor that I was talking to earlier this week, and he was really discouraged. And, and I said, you know, what's, what's up? He said, well, you know, the people that God called me to lead and serve, they just, man, they're hard to work with. <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, they're just not committed enough. You know, I, I try to get people to volunteer, and, and they're too busy, and they got other stuff going on, and you know, I, I say, hey, we need some money here. We've got to run a church. And they just don't seem to be affected by that very much because they have other priorities. And I wanted to encourage them. And I said, well, think about this. In fact, I want you to think about this too. Um, if you have a piece of paper and a pen this morning, draw a circle. Just draw a circle. Let that circle represent your life. 
This is what I was explaining to my pastor friend. Draw a circle that represents your life. And then think about this. And if you don't have paper, you can just kind of do it in your mind. Okay, the circle is your life. Think about if you were to take a, a cross representing Jesus and put that cross somewhere relative to that circle. See, if you're a person who's not a believer, then Jesus is outside of your life, right? He's outside the circle. He may be way outside the circle, or maybe he's closer to the perimeter of the circle, but he's not inside the circle because you haven't decided to follow him yet. But if you are a Christian, you say, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, then where is that cross? Inside the circle, right? But it could be on the edge of the circle, way out on the edge, because, man, you've got other stuff going on in your life. You've got your job. You've got your family. You got your recreational pursuits. You got all this other stuff. And Jesus is in your life, but he's just one of those things. He's not a really big priority. And I explained to my pastor friend, I said, listen, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to have Jesus at the center of your life. And that's exactly how Jesus calls us to live. But I will tell you this, having Jesus at the center of your life is not a one-time deal. We have to choose over and over again to place and keep Jesus at the center of our life. And church, I just want you to think about that. I mean, if you were really honest, if you were just, you know, doing this between you and God, where would Jesus be? Really, is he at the center? And if not, if you're a Christian and Jesus is not at the center of your life, how can that change? How can that change? And listen, if you've never trusted Jesus, I pray that what you're hearing here today will convince you that what you need to have the life that God designed you to live is a relationship with the one who loves you like nobody else, and his name is Jesus. Church, let me, let me close with a story. This is a story that was written by C.S. Lewis, and it's from a book called The Silver Chair. And in this book, he pictures our our thirst for God and our resistance to that thirst. And there are two characters in the scene. One is Aslan. He, he's a mighty lion and he represents Jesus Christ. And the other is a girl. Her name is Jill. And this is what C.S. Lewis writes. When Jill stopped, she found that she was dreadfully thirsty. She listened carefully and felt almost sure she heard the sound of running water. Jill looked around her very carefully. There was no sign of the lion, so she plucked up her courage to look for running water. She came to an open glade and saw the stream, bright as glass. Although the sight of the water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood still as if she had been turned to stone, with her mouth wide open, and she had a very good reason. Just this side of the stream lay the lion. Are you thirsty? said the lion. I, I, I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, uh, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. As Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic, Will you promise not to, to, to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. Oh, I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, 
said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other stream. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that there is no other stream. You told us so clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Lord, I pray this. Would you, would you forgive us? Would you forgive me, God, for the times that I've been so distracted by the world? Lord, when, when you have not been the very center of my life, Lord, we need help. We need you. And I pray this so much, God, that we would be a church that moves ahead with Jesus at the center of our lives, of our families, of our church. And God, we pray that you will help us do that. And Lord, I pray too for the one who maybe this morning has realized that you're outside the circle of their life. Father, I pray that they would just say this in their own words, in their heart to you. God, I need you. I want you to be in my life. I know I'm a sinner, and God, I'm sorry, and I need Jesus, and I believe he died and rose again to pay for my sins, and God, I don't understand all this stuff about Christianity, but I know I want to follow Jesus, so I just, I trust him today. Lord, you always hear that prayer. And Lord, for those of us who would honestly say, Jesus is inside the circle of my life. God, would you help us to make Jesus our cornerstone, the very foundation upon which we live, so that we can know this, this life that Jesus has promised us. A life where we have a new record, a new identity, and a new potential because of your Holy Spirit living in us. And God, I pray that as we sing this last song, that it would be more than just words on a screen. Lord, I pray that this would be a chance for us to renew our commitment for Jesus to be our cornerstone. Lord, we pray this now in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.